to hear and apply his word. I'm about to know better so that I may do better, have better, and be better. I am becoming everything God has destined me to be. I'm becoming everything the haters say I couldn't be. I'm becoming everything the devil fears I'll be. After today, I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, come on, shout amen. All right, well, let's get started. Open up your note sheets and let's get started. If you don't have a note sheet at home, just kind of jot down the scriptures so you can make that your study guide for the week or you can wait until service is over. In fact, already, I believe the note sheet's already up on the app. So um, I don't know if you can pull that up while you're watching, but um, anyway, maybe on somebody else's phone, you can pull up the note sheet so you can see, follow along like you normally do when you're here. Okay, so we're looking at glorifying God in the family. Number one. Allowing God to be glorified in your family is a choice. It's a choice. We choose to do things God's way. Joshua made a choice for his family. Y'all hear me this morning? Joshua made a choice, a a quality faith decision as the head of his family. As the head of his family, he decided, look, this is what we're going to do. Joshua 24, 15, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now that word house doesn't just mean house. It means family um, or the family unit. It means household. So as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He made a decision for his whole family. This is what we're going to do. And then in the message translation, it says, as for me and my family, we'll worship God. So it's a decision that we make. It's a choice to, to do things his way. How many of you know if we do things his way, life is going to go better for us? Then if we try to do it our way, we might as well do it his way. And that way we're going to get success. So I want you all to know from the get-go, this is not about trying to be a perfect family. Or trying to make your family perfect, because that is never going to happen. <laughs> it's made up of a lot of imperfect people all brought together, you know, in a bloodline. You know, but we got each other's back. We might have some issues, we might have some struggles, but we got each other's back, right? So it's not about trying to make your family perfect, but it's about becoming a victorious family. It's about being a family that, that, sh- that shines the glory of God. That people see how it ought to be, right? And not that we're perfect. But even when we're in situations that we don't know how our family got into this situation, we never saw this coming, but we glorify God throughout the entire thing. Amen? All right. So number two, it's a work of the Holy Spirit to, to reflect His glory in our lives. So there's a process. In fact, the Bible says that we go from glory to glory, that we go from one degree of glory and splendor to another degree of glory, just as the Holy Spirit begins to work through us as we continue to do, to behold Him in the Word. So as, as long as we are um, going through the Word to figure out how to structure our family and to do things according to the Word, you know, you start where you are. Amen? No shame in your game. You start where you are and you begin to learn what God's Word says about family and how we're supposed to be structured. Then we go to another level. It's like, oh, I've got that. And then we go on to the next level. But we have to remember, he has the right to tell us what to do. He has the right to decide what's right and what's wrong. What qualifies as family. Amen? So, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 in the Living says, We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of God in our families. Amen? And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more... Like Him. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him. You know, in our families, we have to let the Spirit of the Lord work in us. How many of you know it can be difficult to deal with some family members? You go through some situations that are taxing, some things are turbulent, and then some things become downright toxic. And you have to learn how to deal with those things. And throughout this this series... We're going to learn how to deal with situations. It's going to set you free in some areas. Some people like to prey on Christian nature. Oh, well, you're a Christian, so you're supposed to put up with me. No, no. Oh, no. When things become toxic, no. I will turn you into the police. I will do what I have to do. If you're doing something that's illegal and you're, you're, you're causing a toxic situation in our family, you know, I am a Christian and I will deal with it like the Word says I do. Amen? 
So it's about getting victory in our families, but it's letting the Holy Spirit do a work work within each one of us within the family. Listen to the Amplified. It says, Because we continue to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are constantly being transfigured into His very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So it's about letting Him do a work. So that means that from where you are, you might have to begin to change the way you're doing things. Change the way you're responding to some things. Change the way that you're doing family. You might have to make a decision. Let the Holy Spirit lead you to make some changes. Amen. Changes that will take you to another level where you're full of peace. Where your family's full of peace. Your family is full of joy. Amen. How many of you know that we set the temperature in our households? We set the atmosphere. This is how it's going to go. As Joshua said, we serving the Lord around here. We're, we're turning off rap. Amen, somebody. We're turning off stuff that doesn't edify this family. We're going to set a, a structure for our family to be successful. And there are things that, that will cause you to not be successful. We're not going to hang out with people who don't have our best interest at heart. Amen. So we have to change the structure of some things. Change the way we've been thinking about it. Where we've been maybe taking one another for granted. Man, I'll tell you, if there's one thing that's really good about this pandemic, is it has really made us think, I really need to treat this person right. Because you never know when you're going to lose someone. You know, I think about Keisha, who used to be a member of our church, her and Big Ed, that she's a nurse, and Big Ed got got um, the coronavirus and passed away. I think he's about my age. I'm like, if she had known this is our last week to live together, how would you have acted? You know, would you change? Are there some things you'd change? If you knew, if you only had 30 days left to live and you knew that, would you change the way you're treating the people that are around you? Would it make you not take them for granted? Would it make you notice those things that you wish you could see again if they were gone? You know, we need to treat people like we appreciate them in our families. You know, one thing that we've gotten away from in this world is honor. Man, there's no... There's there's just... People lie, and people have always lied, because the father of lies, you know, is busy doing what he does. But, I mean, people just outright lie. I mean, even in the news media, they just outright lie. And there's no honor anymore. It's like, so? There used to be some shame connected with lying. Now it's like, well, if it gets me what I want, it's fair. So there's no honor. But there, how many times in God's Word does He tell us to honor one another? That honor is an, a very important ingredient to the moral fiber of our nation, of our world. When that begins to break down, you got a problem. So we need to bring it back in our homes. Amen? Let's bring it back. Y'all committed to bring it back? So throughout Scripture, families come in all shapes and sizes. And I didn't think about all of them, but I thought of a few. You know, even after de- devastation, they went on to have victory and to glorify God. So you can't say, well, you know, my family's just too messed up. Or my family, you know, there was a divorce. Or there was a death. And we're a fractured family. You know, we all experience death and and situations in our family where it seems like things will never be the same. My own brother was murdered when he was 18 years old. They found him in a ditch with his hands and his feet tied after he'd been there for three days. You know, and Thanksgiving was never the same. You know, things were never the same after he was gone. But, you know, it's been like 30 years now. And, uh, you know, we're, we've moved on as a family and we have victory in our family now, but, but devastating things can happen. How many of you know that? Devastating things can happen in your life. You can lose somebody, but God still pulls us together as family. And He even pulls us together to make other people parts of our family. Amen? Like, um, how about Esther and her uncle Mordecai? For some reason, Esther was an orphan. She didn't have a mother or a father, but Uncle Mordecai stepped up and became like a father to her, to care for her, 
So it's Mordecai and Esther, and Mordecai was able to, to lead her in victory, you know, to see, put something in her. Come on. He put something in her because when she got there to the palace, she was different from all the rest of the girls. There was something about her that she was favored. She acted wisely. She had favor with the, with the, all the people she needed to have favor with. And she was given extra uh, beauty treatment. She was given her a, a place of her own to live with people to, to just minister to her. So, she found favor because I believe Mordecai put some stuff in her. Mordecai was a good man, a godly man. Amen? So it doesn't matter how small the family is. It doesn't matter how fractured it seems to be. Things have, people have moved away. People have fell out. You know, it's still family. And we still stick together. So he put something in Esther that caused her to, to rise up and even become queen in a foreign land. Amen? So it was a different family, but it was still family. Y'all say family. And they glorified God. When it came time to fast and pray, Mordecai gave her good wisdom. He said, look, don't think you're going to escape this thing. You need to, you need to step up for, for your people. Amen? For the family of God, for the, for the people of Israel. And she stepped up. And because they were godly, God was glorified in that situation. Amen, somebody. And then Naomi and Ruth. Man, did they have some devastating things happen in their family. The, um, Naomi's husband and her two sons both died. Um, her sons were ma- named Maclon and Chilion. One means sick and the other one means half dead. So they, 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 the, all the dudes died and it's just the mother-in-law and the two daughter-in-laws left. And the, the one daughter-in-law said, you know, her name was Orpah. She said, you know, I'm going back to my family. So she kissed her mother-in-law and she went back to Moab to her family. But Ruth clung to her mother-in-law and she says, don't let anything Keep me from following after you. For where you go, I'll go. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. She made a covenant with her and she, she stuck with her even though she didn't have to. She stuck with Naomi. And look how God turned that family around. These two little raggedy girls. Look how God turned it around. How, how Boaz took notice of her and he was the kinsman redeemer and he married her and uh, they had a child named Obed. And that baby Obed, Ruth took that baby and laid it in Naomi's arms to make up for the children that she had lost. Hallelujah. They went on to glorify God. Why? Because they, they ended up being in the bloodline of Jesus. Obed had a baby named Jesse. Jesse had a baby named David. And David became the king. And we know that it's, that Jesus came through the, the lineage of David. Amen. So look how they glorify God. They still glorify God to this day in the Word. Amen. Because they were doing things God's way. They chose to do things God's way. And then, of course, Abraham and Sarah. My goodness, when you talk about families not being perfect, this family had its issues <laughs> and its struggles. You know, she was barren, um, and they couldn't have children. So they, you know, um, invite Hagar to come in and, and say, well, you just have a baby with Hagar, and that'll be our baby. And so then now they've got to deal with this whole situation where we got a baby mama that we don't want to have to deal with this baby. They end up having to send the baby away. But how many of you know, even when we mess up, God doesn't give up on us. And he still allowed them. Just because they made an Ishmael, they didn't take Isaac away. Amen. He still allowed them to be the father of a great nation. Amen. So they moved on after a huge mistake and they still went on to glorify God. Amen. Genesis 12.3 says to, about Abraham, he says, And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen? Y'all just wave your hand and say, I'm blessed. Everybody at home just declare, hey, I'm blessed. We're blessed as a family. Hallelujah. All right. So number three, being a doer of the word causes my family to glorify God. A doer of the word. So we can't be hearers only. Amen. We have to be doers of the word. Decide that we're going to do things God's way out of his out of his word. And because he's bought us, because we belong to him, he has the right to tell us what to do. Amen, somebody. He has the right to tell us how to do family. So when we do it his way, we're going to glorify him. <clears throat> Amen. Matthew 7, 24. It says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does what? Come on, y'all help me preach this morning. Whoever... Hears these sayings of mine and does them. I will liken him to a, bi- a wise man who built his house. Now, what do we say? House is another word for family. So I will liken him to a wise man who built his family on the rock. 
And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded. So that even when things come and beat against your family, that look what's going to happen. It did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So when your family is founded on the rock, it's not going to fall. Amen? Verse 26, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his family on sand. And the rains descended and the floods came. Come on, drama happened, stuff happened. And the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So I have to be committed to be a doer of the word. And sometimes it means, like you've ever heard somebody say, you got to bite your tongue and swallow the blood. Sometimes it means you need to just shut up. My sister said, oh, something the other day. I can't remember what it was. And I said, well, I would have said this. And uh, she said, well, the secret to being married 37 years is to keep your mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> Amen. So you have to keep your mouth shut. And sometimes that, you know, that's what God says to do when you want to go off. You just keep quiet. Amen. So that's doing things God's way. So remember, I said house. That word house there, there's the definition It means residence, it means family, and it means household. So when it says house in the word, it's talking about your family, talking about your household. Proverbs 14.1 says the wise woman builds her house or her family, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. And I don't think that's just a woman. I think, men, you ought to be building your household too. Amen? Guys, you, you need to step up and be the leader in the household. The godly leader, not just, don't go home and put your hands on your hip and say, bless God, woman, things are about to change. Because you might end up with a black eye. <laughs> but what, what that means is that you decide that you're going to be the spiritual leader of your household. And that you're going to build your house, not just, you know, it's good to teach your kids to do things the right way and do things, you know, just because this is right. But whenever you teach them the word of God, not just by shoving it down their throats, but by the way you live as an example, you build them up by showing them this is how you do this. Amen. This is how you treat your wife. Amen. I think men need to step up. Come on, guys. You here with me today? You got you to gotta accept the challenge to step up and be the spiritual leader. I tell you, every woman out there, Loves nothing more than for her husband to put her put put his arms around her and pray, to pray over her, to pray over the children, to pray over the family, to pray over the finances, to pray over things she's worried about, you're worried about. To just say, you know what, we're going to trust God as a family. There, there's nothing that a woman loves more. I mean, you talk about, you know, it's uh, man. Don't let me get over into stuff talking about. Mm. It's like. We each have a gas tank in us. And you want to put things in, you know, put good in your spouse, your family. You're making deposits in them all the time. You're building them up with your words. You're saying, good job. Man, that was good. You're appreciating. Man, thank you for doing that. You didn't have to do that. Man, thank you for doing that. So you're making deposits in their love tank so that when something happens and you need to make a withdrawal, there needs to be a correction in private. Not correcting them in front of the children. I'm talking about husbands and wives. There, there's room to make a withdrawal and things don't go blow up into a big fight. Amen? We need to say, and when you're saying things in the right way, I'm way off my notes, but I know this is the Holy Ghost. But the wise woman and the wise man, you build your family. But the foolish ones tear it down with their own hands. Really with your words. Really with your words. What's that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can never hurt me? How many of you remember things that were said to you as a child? Amen. You still remember those things. Amen. You still remember them. You know, my father used to hit me in the face and call me stupid. It took years to get over that and to realize I wasn't stupid after all. Because when somebody of authority tells you something like that or something derogatory or when they said things of praise... You never forget that either, right? Come on, y'all. When they said good things, you don't forget that either. So we've got to be building about the Father's business, building our house. We're building our house, our family on the rock. 
Amen? So we're putting good things in them so we'll get good things out of them. Amen? And we're raising them in the way they should go so when they're old, they won't depart from it. Right? Not by just what you said, but how you acted. You know what? If you need to repent, repent. Do you know how much you'll go up in your children's eyes if you say, you know what? I've been doing this wrong. I need to ask you to forgive me. Do you know how much you'll go up in their eyes because you ask them to forgive you? See, you can't have pride and build like that. But that's, that speaks louder than any sermon you could or any scripture you try to get them to memorize. That speaks louder than if you show them how to turn around and make a turnaround. Whew, that's good. I know I'm preaching good this morning. All right, number four. The enemy comes to destroy family relationships. You know that, that we have an enemy, that he's out there, he wants to take you out. If he can take out your family, he can take out the next family that's watching your family. Amen. John 10.10 10 says, The thief does not come except to what? Steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So we know that we have an enemy who's, who's coming against our families. Amen. Who's got your kids in his crosshairs who wants to take your kids out, wants to take your marriage out, take your family out, we know that the devil uh, wants to go to work destroying our families. So immediately after God created mankind, uh, Adam and Eve, the very first family, as he created this first family, I mean, right away, the devil gets busy in the very first family. They have two kids, Cain and Abel, right? And Cain and Abel went to go make their sacrifices before God. So Abel gave an offering to God that was um, a more excellent sacrifice. He gave of the firstborn of his flock. He gave a first fruit offering to the Lord. And the Lord was pleased with that offering. And he accepted um, Abel's offering. But Cain just gave him an offering. He just gave him anything because um, Cain was a tiller of the ground. So he brought of his harvest before the Lord as an offering, but he just brought anything. He didn't bring the first, he didn't bring the choice, and he didn't bring the best. He just brought anything, and his offering was not accepted by God. So look what happened. It said in Genesis 4, 4 through 7, it says, And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will it not be accepted? And if you do, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So in other words, Cain got offended and he, he didn't tend to it. He didn't put it under his feet. He didn't make the choice to overcome offense. He took the offense and became offended. And did the unthinkable. You know, we watched that 48 hours hard evidence and these crime shows. I love to see how they solve a crime with just like the tiniest piece of evidence. It's, it's unbelievable the things that people will do in families to one another. You know, I know none of us would do this. But, I mean, people who kill one another. I was listening yesterday on the way home to a woman who poisoned not one but two husbands. She poisoned the first one, and um, she, she uh, decided she'd poison the second one the same way. And she poisoned the second one, too. Within, like, by the next day, the guy was dead. She put, put it in his iced tea or something like that. It's, like, unbelievable the things that people will do um, in families. It's unbelievable. But look, look what happened here in Genesis 4-8. We think that's a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's been going on since the very first family. Genesis 4, eight says, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. So we see that there was drama right out the gate in the very first family, and we see why did it happen? Because of offense. So we got to learn to deal with offense. That's one of the very first things. If, if, if you want to see somebody who's immature spiritually, they will get offended at everything. Oh my goodness, they're always upset, always falling out with people. That's a person who's easily offended. That's an immature, it's a mark of immaturity. So, um, you know, think about a two-year-old throwing temper tantrums. It's because they get what? Offended at every little thing. So let's look at number two, dealing with offense. Number one, 
Offense is one of the greatest weapons of the enemy to destroy relationships and family. Second Corinthians 2.11. You know how when you're kids, you get offended about the, he's touching me. Bob, he's touching me. He's touching me. He's touching me. Get offended over this, the craziest stuff when you're kids. It's mine. <laughs> Somebody touches your stuff. You know, so it's one of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses. But we know that. If we know that, we can be on the lookout for it, right? 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Uh, offense is one of the greatest devices that he uses against us. We really use it against ourselves because you have to, you have to choose to take an offense. It's a choice that you make. Second, uh, so 1 Peter 5.8-9, it says, be sober. Be vigilant. In other words, be watching because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. So we have to resist the bait that he puts out there called offense. So number two, let's see what Jesus said about offenses. You will always have an opportunity to be offended. It's it, You will always have a, uh, the ability to get offended. There's always going to be something that you could get offended about. Luke 17, 1, Jesus said, It is impossible that no offenses should come. So that word offenses there, if you put a circle around offenses, offenses means a, a stumbling, a stumbling block, or a, it's a stu- something that causes you to stumble. It actually means, in the Greek, a trap stick on an animal, on an animal uh, trap. It's an animal trap that holds the bait. It's the part of the animal trap that holds the bait. So offense is bait to draw you into unforgiveness. So when you get offended, that's when you get caught in a trap called unforgiveness. You get a root of bitterness. And then there's no such thing as a bitter loving Christian, right? So you can't get into that trap. So uh, number three, you are the one who's tormented when you get offended. You know, you think, you know, that that when you get offended, you know, you wouldn't think that you're the one who's going to be tormented, but you're the one who's actually tormented. When you get offended, you stay up all night thinking about it. You wonder, you know, how am I going to act in front of this person? You don't want to make eye contact. It requires so much thought. And really, when you think about how much thought being offended requires, it's like I had to choose some of that. You thought about it all night long. You thought about how it made you feel. You visit that emotion. We, it, it's, 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 a, it's a true fact that when you have a, an, a feeling like that, an emotion that's triggered by an offense, that you'll go back and visit that, that same emotion over and over. It validates the offense. So you keep visiting it over and over and thinking on it and thinking on it and thinking on it um, until you've just worked yourself up into just being tormented. So Proverbs eighteen nineteen. what does it say? A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. So in other words, it'd be easier to go win a city that's well shut up than it is to, to win a brother back that's been offended. Wow. And, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Wow. So that shows you that it's really a trap. It's like bars. It's like jail. So how many of you know we should really guard against getting offended? Amen? So number four, we can live a disciplined life of choosing not to be offended. So we can be guided in our daily behavior, governed by the principles in the Word of God that would help us to choose to not be offended. Psalm 119, 165, it says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Can you underline that? Nothing shall offend them. Great peace, that's Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So when I love God's Word, and I'm willing to be a doer of God's Word, I will not... uh, Get offended. Amen? Psalm 19, uh, Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. And it is to his what? Glory to overlook an offense. So we glorify God just when we choose to overlook an offense. Amen. Leviticus 19.18. It says, Never get revenge. Never hold a grudge against any of your people. In other words, your people, your family. Never hold a grudge against any of your people. Instead, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Forgive like you want to be forgiven. He says, I am the Lord. 
Amen. So love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am the Lord. So you know relationships go through several phases. You know when you first get into a relationship, there's the ecstasy phase. You can write this out on the edge, on the on the uh, on the border of your note sheet there, somewhere on the bottom, the back, the front, something. But with the the first phase that you go through in a relationship is ecstasy. I mean, you don't see anything wrong. There's that person can do no wrong. Amen. And you know, you go through these same phases when you start a new job. You know, your coworkers, you think, wow, everything's wonderful. Every, you just kind of overlook things. You don't see things that are wrong because you just, you just feel so much excitement about having that new job or in that new relationship. I know Kenta and Tamar just got married. They're still all in love and y'all still in the ecstasy phase. Raise your hand if you're still in the ecstasy phase. All right, Murray did too. We're still in the ecstasy phase, amen. (laughs) But everything's wonderful. You can do no wrong. You know, they say love is blind. Irritating signs are there, but you're so in love you don't see it. Am I right? You don't see it. You don't see it. You can't wait to go down the aisle. You can't wait to say I do. Can't wait to, I was married. No, you can't wait. Amen. You can't wait. But then the next phase is the reality reality phase. And that's where your eyes are open and you wonder, who is this person? Nobody? Anybody? Y'all got to be careful about raising your hand on that one. <laughs> Don't just look straight ahead. You put your arm down. You're not even married. So yeah, and then you begin to wonder who is this person. You begin to see things that you didn't see before. And then there is the offensive, the offense phase. And that's where offense comes and people can become irritating. People can become irritating. So how you handle it determines the relationship that you're going to have after that. When your eyes are open and you see things that could irritate you. But you know, if your tank is full, come on, y'all. If your tank is full, if, if they're making enough deposits in you in other areas and in other ways, you, you tend to let the irritation go, right? Am I right, y'all? Amen. All right. But if you don't, you know, things can become strained. Things can become difficult in relationships. You go into toleration mode and that is no way to live. Toleration mode is no way to live. Nobody wants to live just tolerating their situation. Amen. And then you're miserable when you're in toleration mode. You're just miserable. You don't want to go home and they don't want to see you coming home. You either don't talk about it. You know, it's just quiet. It's under the surface, the elephant in the room. Nobody's talking about it. Or you fight and argue and bicker about it all the time. Either way, there's no peace, right? So you have to overcome these irritations and these things. So um, number five, confronting the matter correctly can lead to victory, which glorifies God. You know, confrontation can be your friend if you do it the right way. It's got to be done the right way. You can't say... But you always and you never. You always. You never. And now you know that's not true. That's not true. You've blown the thing up. You always and you never. That's not true. So you have to do it correctly. Um, you have to be able to confront a situation, but do it the right way. Do it with love. I say do it in a love sandwich. Start with a compliment and just such love you know, explain what's bothering you and then close the thing out in love. You know, I love you. You know, put it in a love sandwich. You can say anything if you put it in a love sandwich. I mean, you know, just about anything's good if you put it in a taco, right? <laughs> put some uh, uh, pico on it and some salsa and just about, just you could put just that on it with nothing in it and it's good. Amen. So you just put it in a love sandwich and uh, it'll glorify God and it'll be better received. Matthew eighteen fifteen. look at this. It says, if your brother sins against you, your sister, your mother, your wife, your husband, somebody, they sin against you. They do something that offends you, something that hurts you. Go and tell him his fault. In other words, you've got to confront it correctly. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. One translation says do it in private. Don't be correcting one another in front of people. And don't do it in front of the kids. Amen. Don't do that in front of kids. Do it without raising your voice. Do it without cussing. Do, do it without calling names. Amen. That's God's way to confront. Um, my first pastor's wife, if she got offended during the day at her husband, and he was my first pastor, he was tough. He was like John Wayne with a Bible instead of a gun. 
But he was just tough and he could be very direct and he could hurt your feelings. So Linda, am I telling the truth? Sometimes she, she had, we had the same first pastor. Sometimes he could, he could, he could hurt your feelings. He really could. And he hurt my feelings a couple of times, but I had to learn, you know, to kind of toughen up a little bit. But she used to tell us this story about how she would handle things with him because if I throw a ball at you and you're not ready to receive, it's just going to hit you and you're not going to catch it. You're not going to receive it, right? You got to be ready to receive. So what she would do, she had a blue chair in her room and she would sit in that blue chair. That was her signal to him that she needed to talk, talk to him about something that was bothering her, which gave him an opportunity to decide, okay, she needs to talk to me about something. And he wouldn't be in a defensive mode. His heart would already be like, okay, she needs to talk to me about something. I've offended her in some way, you know, get my heart ready to apologize, whatever it is, whatever your spouse tells you, okay, you hit me with a pebble. Okay, there's no, if, 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 if I perceive that you hit me with a pebble and I tell you you hit me with a pebble, the only thing for you to say is, oh, I'm sorry, I, d- I didn't mean to do that. Well, you, da, da, da. No, don't do that. That's only going to make things escalate. So you have to be ready to receive. Or if you hit me with the rock, you know, this, I, I really didn't appreciate this. You know, the only answer is, you know what, I'm really sorry. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. I'll, I'll work on that. Because they perceive you hurt them, right? Or you hit me with a boulder. This is something you really got to pay attention to. Don't don't fire back. Well, remember when you da 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 da. Yeah, that's right. I did because uh, you know that's not going to get you where you want to go in your family. Amen. You got to do it correctly. But she would sit in that blue chair and wait for him to acknowledge and say he'd stop the television. He'd say, "Do we need to talk about something?" And she would say yes. And she could do it that way without crying. Because guys, how many of you hate it when we cry? Yeah. <laughs> It's like when you get emotional, they shut down because they're like, "Why? wait a minute, why are you crying? I want to fix this just because I don't want you to cry. So she could talk to him without crying. He could talk to her without being in a defensive mode. And they could work things out because the Bible says don't go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. So they want, she'd wanted to get it straight before she went to bed. So um, that's how that's how they did it. They had a blue chair. But, you know, you could you could... Come up with your own situation at home about how you're going to deal with things. If you're, if you're realizing that you need to make some corrections and go to another level of glory, just say, okay, babe, how can we, how can we work this out? What can we do? I'm telling you, if you would do that, if you would go home and do that, there would be so much joy. So much joy. So why do people become offended in family? Number one is mistakes. You make a mistake. You, you just make, sometimes we make mistakes and we offend people. Somebody else will make a mistake and offend us. A person is offended. They feel like you did it on purpose, but people are going to make mistakes. You know, Peter made a huge mistake. You know, he made the mistake of denying Jesus three times, but Jesus still extended grace to him. You know, that's a big mistake. When somebody denies they even know you, betrayal, that's a hard mistake to overcome, but you can overcome it. Amen? You know, David broke at least half of the Ten Commandments. But God had mercy on him when he repented. So in family, we have to give people room to make mistakes. And restore them like we would want to be restored. Amen? And then number two reason is misbehavior. First one is mistakes. People are going to make mistakes. You know, I I made a mistake. You know, I just made a wrong choice at the wrong time. Um, Misbehavior. So number two is misbehavior. People choose behavior that hurts others in the family. It's offensive. You, you just, like the prodigal son. Think about the prodigal son. He chose to leave, squander his inheritance, and he comes back, and the father throws him a party. The other brother is like, you've got to be joking. I've been here all these years. You've never done anything for me. But he comes back after spending all your money, and you throw him a party? Listen to, listen to how it went down. The brother's like, this don't make no sense. Luke 15, 28 through 30, the older brother st- stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. Whoo, that tells you you've been offended right there. You stalk off in an angry sulk and refuse to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. You know, when somebody's offended, they're not, they're not trying to hear you. They won't hear what you have to say when they're offended. The son said, look how many years... I've, I've stayed here serving you, never given you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? 
Then this son of yours, he wouldn't even say his name, this son of yours, who's, who's thrown away your money on beep, shows up and you go all out with a feast. Looky there. He's like, he's so offended because the father's throwing a party for the other brother. And so because of the brother's mis, misgivings and misdoings, his misbehavior, the father, um, I'm sorry, the, the brother is offended. He's offended at what he's done and he's offended that the father is maybe favoring him more than him. Sometimes it's easy to get offended thinking like, the boss never gave me an extra bonus. You know, he never called my name. Or hey, I painted in children's church, nobody called my name. You know, you can get offended at something like that and end up leaving um, your set place where God wants you to be. So you have to you have to um, offer grace in those areas and choose not to get offended. Amen. All right. Another three reason people get offended is is or people offend is because of a lack of maturity, a lack of maturity. You know, when people are immature, they do offensive things and they get offended easily. It goes both ways. But remember when you were in your dumb days, <laughs> you know, teenagers go through their dumb days, right? Remember when you were in your dumb days. So we have to give them grace. Jacob was immature. Uh, remember he dressed up like his older brother so he could steal his brother's blessing? Genesis twenty-seven forty-one. That did not go over good. Esau was definitely offended. It says, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. I mean, he was already plotting and planning to kill his brother because he was so offended that he went in and took his uh, birthright. But they were young and they were immature. So a lack of maturity will cause people to do um, uh, things that will offend and will cause you to get offended if, you're, if you lack maturity. And then another thing, number four, is magnified irritations. Magnified irritation. Sister Kim on the front row said, mm. <laughs> Anybody who's married or anybody who's in a family, you know, people do things that can irritate you. They just have a different way of doing things. They don't close the toothpaste like you'd like for them to, or they leave this out or leave that out, you know. And, and those things, you can get them so, you can magnify them so much that it'll get you in an attitude and you lose your joy and lose your peace. You know, you, you might, uh, girls, you know, you just say, you know, would you just turn your socks right side out? Just, just turn them. All, I'm going to wash them. I'm going to dry them, and they will magically appear back in your drawer. But it, would you please just turn them right side out? And the very next time you go to do his laundry, sure, they still turn wrong side out, and that could cause you to just get such an attitude, man. All he has to do, I'm going to wash them. I'm going to put them up. All he has to do is turn the socks right side out. It could get you so irritated that you lose your joy, you lose your peace. And then you got an attitude about everything. You got to shift into praise. You got to shift into a reason to say, you know what? Thank you, God, for this washing machine. Thank you, God, for this running water. I'm not down by a brook somewhere scrubbing these socks on a rock. Amen. Thank God I got a, a dryer that's going to dry these. I'm going to take them out. They're going to be warm and I'm going to fold them up. It'll be everything. Be, thank you, God, for this husband who's wearing these socks or these kids who are wearing these socks. God, thank you. And it reminds you to pray for them. Lord, your word is a lamp to their feet and a light to their path. Amen. It'll cause you to get a, a sense of joy again and to um, just shift to gratitude instead of um, just wanting to be... You know, magnifying the flaws in other people. You know, when, when flaws are being magnified of other people, you are under attack. The devil is magnifying the flaws of other people. You are under demonic attack. And you got to take it captive and decide to think on things that are true, lovely, praiseworthy, good report. Amen. Think of something good about that person. Amen. Don't allow yourself to get all worked up over it. And that's what happened with Mary and Martha. Mary was, uh, sitting there at Jesus' feet and Martha was offended because Mary wasn't helping her. And so Luke 10, 40, Martha was just all out of sorts. Um, she got irritated and she, she magnified that irritation until she was slamming cabinets and slamming dishes all over the place. She comes out and it says Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. So look at how being offended will cause you to be rude. Do things you wouldn't normally do. If you're offended, you'll be rude. She stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sisters has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much. Hello, somebody. 
everybody watching online, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. So when flaws are being magnified, little irritations are becoming bigger, you know, it's a time to get a hold of yourself right there and, and just say, look, I'm letting myself get worked up over nothing. All right, the number five, malicious intentions. Sometimes we're offended and people offend us um, because people do things that are hurtful and offensive. Betrayal, cheat on you, abandon you, abandon responsibility. They do it intentionally, physically, verbally, mentally, abusive. It's malicious. Over and over it becomes a cycle. Abuse is a cycle that you get in. And and after the abuse and the offense has been done, you go through a cycle where you feel bad about it. Whoever the, you know, if you're the offender, you feel bad about it. And then you be really nice for a while because you feel bad about the way you acted until you don't feel that way anymore and then you become you, uh, abusive again. And then it just becomes a cycle over and over and over. And people stay together because of the good, the little bit of good times. People stay together a lot of times just because, you know, it's just difficult to not stay together. And they tolerate it. Just for that little piece of niceness that you're doing only because you feel bad because of what you did and how you acted. If you're hollering and cussing and, and being abusive with your family, stop it. That's malicious, intentional, intentional, and it's malicious. Think about Joseph. Joseph, and so I'm, I'm giving you a scriptural example on all of these because I want you to know it's not just in our day. This is the people in the Bible had the same situations happen. Joseph's brothers maliciously and intentionally threw him in a well and took his coat. They were irritated with him. You'd have been irritated with him too. He was a bragger. He was always, you know, talking about how great he was and how they going to bow down to him and prancing around in his his new coat of many colors that none of them had, start, you know, showing how favored he was to the others. That'd be irritating to you too. It was irritating. But they they took it too far. They did stuff they shouldn't have done. Um, they, you know, they threw him into a well and sold him into a pit sold him into slavery, and told his daddy he was dead. The favored son told his daddy he was dead. So he was, you know, he was in prison for many years because of his brothers, but because of his relationship with God, he forgave them. That, that's something right there. Now, this is malicious and intentional. It shows you how you can forgive things that go on in families and things, you know, that have been done to you. You can forgive. It's, it, this is like one of the most, I believe, perhaps one of the most beautiful examples of forgiving an offense. Besides Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen being stoned, God, don't hold this against them. But Joseph, after, you know, he, he could have really, he, he could have really paid them all back. But he didn't do it. Genesis 50, 20 through 21, he says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. So this was intentional and malicious. But he said he brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I'll continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. So in any of these situations that we've just talked about, you don't have to take offense. So how do offenses come? You have to take offense. Number six, choose not... To take the offense. Choose not to take offense. So the, how do the offenses come? They come and somebody actually does something or sometimes you just perceive somebody did something that they didn't even mean. They weren't even thinking about you. And you just perceive that they did and you get offended. Those are fiery darts. The devil's going to give you thoughts, ideas, and suggestions and then you take the thought and meditate on it until it becomes something that you're so offended and so puffed up about that you're offended. And then that puts you in bondage. So it's through thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you deal with it? Ephesians 6.16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Taking the shield of faith. You know, as I was just sitting here, God just reminded me how 
even though my dad did some really offensive things to me in our family, you know, he, you know, I mentioned that he used to hit me in the face and call me stupid. He, you know, we never had a telephone, so nobody could ever call for help. He held my sister by the ankles and kicked her in the face until I thought he was going to kill her. He, it was nothing for him to be holding my stepmother by one hand in the corner and punched her in the face with the other hand while I'm putting my shoes on to catch the bus. That was like how mornings were. But, you know, and when I got to be a certain age, I confronted him about it, and it didn't go well. I wasn't saved at the time. I, wa- I wasn't saved when I first confronted him about it, and it didn't go well. In fact, he said, I don't, I, I don't know what you're talking about. He didn't own up to the fact that he'd done such horrible things. They called us names and, and cursed at us and all kinds of things. He said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. So I was offended. Not just that you did it, but now you're going to say you didn't do it when you and me were both there and we know that you did it? I was offended. But when I got Jesus in my heart, when I was born again, my heart was full of the joy of the Lord. My heart was full of love. There was no room for bitterness. And God said, you've got to forgive your dad. And I'm like, okay, done. I forgive him. I, I, you know, I didn't want that junk in my spirit. So I called him up and said, Papa, I want you to know I forgive you. And for the rest of my life, I will treat you like you never did it. And he cried and thanked me. And then when when he was dying just a few years later, just not even five years later, he's dying with cancer. You know, I went to be by his bedside there with him and I held his hand and had my hand on his heart. As he took his last breath and his heart beat the last here, I was there with him, you know, um, at his bedside. And he just whispered in his ear, Papa, go to Jesus. Amen, somebody. So you can, you can forgive. Even things that maybe that person has already gone on and you never got a chance to get them to apologize. You never got a chance. You can still forgive. I've forgiven the guys who murdered my brother. I've forgiven them. I've I've released that to God because you can't have bitterness in your heart and still manifest everything God wants to manifest in your life. It will block the kingdom flow. Unforgiveness blocks kingdom flow. Amen. So you have to choose to not take offense. Ephesians 6.16, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. It quenches the fiery darts. Thoughts, ideas, suggestions. I lift up the shield of faith. I just don't, I take, I don't take those thoughts. I, I take them captive. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. If you're struggling with it, get in your prayer closet and say, Father, I'm having trouble with these people that I'm offended at. God, I need you to help me to overcome this offense so that I can forgive them. You just go to God. You know, we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand what it's like. You know, he knows exactly what it's like to be just like us. Amen? Because he was like us in every way except without sin. So we go to him and ask him for the strength. So so it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Get it straight before you go to bed. Amen? And then, nor give place to the devil. Don't give the devil that kind of room in your life. The place of offense. It gives him a place to stand. Don't give him a toehold. So message translation says, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. And don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Amen. So you quench the thought with faith. Even for the mature, this can be hard. Think about John the Baptist. He got offended that Jesus didn't come visit him in prison. He did. Y'all probably never figured that out in the scripture. I didn't either until Bishop pointed it out. But he, but, uh, after John the Baptist has already baptized Jesus, he's seen the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove. He said that God said that when, you know, everybody heard the voice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Didn't everybody hear John the Baptist? I mean, when John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus, am I right, y'all? Everybody heard him say, this is my beloved son. As he was coming up to John the Baptist, what did John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he knew who Jesus was, right? But he's in prison. Jesus hasn't come to visit him. And look what he says. Jesus, um, uh, it says, John, Luke seven nineteen. John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? John, you know exactly who Jesus was. Look, they were family. They were cousins, second cousins, right? 
Mary and Elizabeth, the, both of their mothers were cousins, so they were second cousins. They shared a great-grandparents, right? So, so Jesus and John the Baptist, they, their mothers knew who they were. I'm sure they talked about each other. I'm sure they saw each other at family gatherings. You know, they knew who each other were. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. Amen. But he said, look, are you the one? Look what Jesus responded by saying. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. See, he said that because John the Baptist was offended. So these were cousins, family, about to fall out. So we know that if uh, if uh, the devil will, will mess with Jesus and John the Baptist, he going to mess with us, right? See, there he is. There's John the Baptist saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knew who Jesus was. That was his cousin. Number seven, offense will hold up everything God has in store for you. It will hold up. And listen, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I remember when I first became a pastor, and man, some people really hurt my feelings. They hurt. They said things about me that weren't true. They left the church, lied about me, said things that, that just absolutely were not true. And I was so offended and so grieved. I was so bound up, I couldn't even pray. And uh, the Spirit of God, oh, I, I called, or I think he called me, Don Norman, the guy from, from South Africa. He called, he was a pastor, and a pastor friend of mine, and he called and he said, uh, I told him what was going on, and I said, I'm just sick. I just want to, I just feel like throwing up. And he said, Sally, he said, girl, have you prayed? I said, no, I don't want, I don't, I don't even, I can't even pray. I just want to throw up. He said, so when, Sally, when we hang up the phone, I want you to go and tell Jesus, Jesus, my friend Don Norman told me to come and tell you I want to throw up. So I went to Jesus and I prayed that very prayer and said, Jesus, I'm so hurt to my core that I just, I, I, I don't, I just want to throw up. And man, Jesus, the, the Spirit of God came and, and helped me to pray. I felt like if I opened my eyes, I'd see Jesus' face right in front of me. The Spirit of God helped me pray, not only pray to get through it and to forgive, but I began to pray for God to bless him. You know, God says to pray for those who hurt you and use you and say all kinds of things about you, to pray for them. Now, that's when God's gone too far, right? When he asks you to pray for somebody, I'll, I'll pray for forgive them. But, but God, for me to pray blessings on them? That ain't going to happen. I think you ought to kill him. But I began to pray the Spirit of God can help you do it. See, you go to another level of glory when you can pray for somebody who's hurt you, who's done something really awful to you, who, who's really hurt. I mean, really, you hurt. This person has wounded you. But the Spirit of God can help you go to a level you never thought you could go to. That you pray prayers for them. I prayed for those people. I prayed that God would make them just like fat little babies that are just being blessed. And they don't even know where the blessing is coming from. They're just blessed, blessed, blessed. I couldn't believe the words that were coming out of my own mouth. But that's what the Spirit of God can do. Amen. God can't use you with a heart of offense. I had to be able to overcome offense at that level. So that I'd be able to go to, to other levels and be able to just brush it off and say, it's all right. That, that uh, the hundredfold comes with persecution. Amen. All right, number three, real quick, revelation on forgiveness. If we would get a revelation on forgiveness, number one, understand that unforgiveness is not an option. For the child of God, unforgiveness is not an option. You have to forgive. It's not an option for me to hold a grudge. It's not an option for me to not get my heart clean. It's not an option for me to not repent. When I've, I, they're the ones who did it, but I'm the one who has to repent for being offended. If you've gotten offended, you know, it's, it becomes a root of bitterness. And many are defiled by a root of bitterness. And a root is much easier to deal with when it's little, when it's just a little weed. But when it becomes a big tree, man, you got to get a, 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 a chainsaw to cut it down. You got to have an expert to bring it down. You got to call a stump grinder to pull the roots out. I mean, it's a whole lot more to deal with when you let it grow into something big. Pull it out when it's just little. It's not an option. Matthew six twelve. Forgive us as we forgive others. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right. Amen. Then the little boy who prayed said, forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash to us, right? 
So we got to forgive those who pass trash to us. If we, because we're passing trash, sometimes we uh, don't mean to, but we might offend somebody. Amen. So we want to be forgiven. And look, Matthew six fourteen through fifteen says, "If you forgive the failures of others, your heavenly Father will also forgive you." That's scary. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your failures. That's scary. You want to be forgiven? Raise your hand if you want to be forgiven. Amen. You want to be forgiven. So if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. He forgives you as you forgive others. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Hebrews twelve fifteen through 16, it says, Look after each other so that none of you fa- fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. corrupting many. Number two, trust the faith process to heal the pain of an offense. You know, people have done things to me that, that have hurt, that have seriously hurt, where I felt like I'm so heartbroken and this hurt so much, I feel like I could die from this. Anybody ever felt like that? You've been so heartbroken that you've you've literally felt like this, I could die from a broken heart. That, I mean, I literally was in the floor in the fetal position feeling like I was dying because it hurt so much. But there's a faith process. When you've been hurt that bad, the blood of Jesus is able to cleanse your conscience from dead works, offense, so that you can serve the living God. So we trust the faith process. Hebrews 9.14, it says, How much more shall the what? The blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So in other words, you apply the blood of Jesus to your heart like medicine. Father, I forgive them. I give them to you. I give them to you. I ask you to bless them. I ask you to help them. I ask you to turn them around. Lord, I I just forgive them for any offenses that they've caused for anyone. Lord, whatever's going on in their life, whatever the root is of bitterness that they've got that's caused them to offend, Lord, bless them. Lord, help them. And Lord, help me. Help me that I I don't offend others. You know, Jabez said, bless me, Lord, that I would not hurt anybody. I wouldn't cause pain. Help me to not be an, an offender. Amen? But you apply the blood of Jesus like medicine. How? With your mouth. Spiritually, you activate the power of the blood. When you say, Father God, I plead the blood of Jesus over my heart that, that Hebrews 9.14 talks about. The blood of Christ is able to cleanse my conscience from dead works so that I can serve you, God, with a pure heart. Apply it three times a day or as many times as you can. Anytime the thought comes to you to feel that pain, to visit that emotion, thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus that cleanses my conscience from dead works. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. Just do it all day long as often as you have to. You don't even have to, you don't have to say it out loud if you're at work or you're in line somewhere. You can just say, thank you, Father, for the blood. It doesn't have to be a big deal, but just remember the blood. Amen? And then number three, choose to grow in giving grace like Jesus gives to us. Jesus gives us grace that is unmerited, undeserved. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But yet he gives it anyway. Amen. Second Peter 3.18, it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we grow in this knowledge, but we want to grow in the grace, the same grace that Jesus, you know, gives to us. While he was hanging on that cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word that's been sown in our hearts today. And Lord, we come against anywhere that we've been offended. Y'all just place your, your hand over your heart. Even everybody at home, just place your hand over your heart right now. And let's declare the healing stripes of Jesus over our heart. Lord, anywhere we've been offended, anywhere where we've magnified the imperfections of other people, anywhere where we've been hurt and damaged, God, we know that betrayal hurts. We know that people can do things that hurt us. They can abandon us. They can, they can, um, Use us and abuse us. Lord, we just ask you, Lord, to cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we can serve you with a pure heart. Lord, we ask you to heal us everywhere that we hurt. Lord, that we can have the memory of what happened. But Lord, you erase the pain. 
Thank you, Father, that we are healed and whole. Lord, we ask you that you would help us, that we would not cause offense, and that, Lord, you would give us the grace to be able to forgive. Lord, in our family situations, we just give our families over to you, Lord. And we ask you to to help us to overcome in areas where we've been doing things our own way rather than doing it your way, rather than being gentle with one another, loving with one another, forgiving one another. Father, we've acted foolish even in our own homes. But Father, we ask you to forgive us. We ask you to lead us in the right direction. That, Lord, we would be um, free to repent. Lord, repent to our children, repent to our spouse. Lord, to just ask for your forgiveness. And, Lord, ask our our families to forgive us where, where where we've been wrong. Thank you, Father. Our our desire is to glorify you in every area of our lives, especially in our families. So, Father, we ask you now to give us revelation, knowledge, and wisdom to know how, Lord, and to especially not be offended. We thank you for it, and we declare a hundredfold return on this word in the name of Jesus. So maybe you're watching today and maybe you would say, I'm not right with, I'm not right with God today. I'm not right with God, but I want to be right with God. So today you'd want to, you want to pray to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. If you really mean it in your heart, everything's about to change. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll be uh, righteous and whole and a, and a child of God in his very presence. So I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Just repeat after me. Say, Father, In Jesus' name, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I have messed up, sometimes on purpose. And sometimes, I'm sure I just didn't know. But I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross in my place. And I believe that you raised him from the dead on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Teach me. Guide me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm trusting you alone to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you said that prayer and you meant it in your heart, that's wonderful. You need to let somebody know because nobody gets to sneak into heaven. you got to let somebody know that you received Jesus. And the way that you do that is just go on our app, and there's a button that says Salvation. Click that button. Is that the right button? Uh, it's called Salvation. Click the Salvation button, and uh, you can go on and uh, fill out that Salvation a connection card and then at the end there just let us know that you made a decision for Christ because there's some more information we need to get into your hands we have a, a little brochure we'd like to to send out to you it's a little map that's going to show you where you're going on your journey and the things that you need to do as you're getting ready for your journey uh, with Christ all the um, stuff you need to do and so just uh, send us your address and we'll mail that out to you all right amen we well, all it's offering time